Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 373. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today's episode is all about setting boundaries and recovering from being a people pleaser. I'm delighted to have Allison KT on the pod. She is an IPEC certified coach, best-selling author, and boundaries and people-pleasing expert who was recently featured in Brides Magazine and Up Journey. As a former people pleaser, conflict avoider, and permanently happy human sunbeam, she knows what it feels like to be caught up in that cycle. After years of all that and the ensuing imposter syndrome and burnout that follows, Allison leaned back into her degree in psychology and conflict transformation, which included extensive study in negotiation, power dynamics, and nonviolent communication. And she rediscovered her worthiness. Now her coaching and mentorship company, Poppy Lead, helps people pleasers learn to have the healthy conflict and communication necessary for authentic relationships and sustainable joy. And that is what we are here to dive into today. Allison, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Yay, thank you. This is so exciting. So delighted to be reconnected. Um, And today we're really diving into a topic I know is near and dear to your heart, setting better boundaries Mm. and curbing people-pleasing. So help me understand, how did you first come to people-pleasing as an area that you wanted to really focus on in your your practice? For sure. So for me, I, and I bet a lot of listeners will relate to this, I was like the prototypical good girl like good student, good daughter, nice, friendly little kid. I learned to be nice (laughs) and put others first. And along the way, I developed this deep fear of conflict, this deep Mm. fear of any emotion that wasn't like, woohoo, everything's great. Uh, And I noticed how deeply that impacted my life. Once I got into my like mid twenties, especially trying to start a business Or like, Mm. you know, figure out what I wanted to do with my career. It was like I was so wrapped up in performing for everyone because I had done that my whole life. You know, be the the good musician in school, be the good student, be all of the stuff that I really didn't know Mm. who I was. And I was kind of afraid to figure it out because I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to slow down. I don't want to stop. And I realized, whoa, people pleasing, putting others first not setting boundaries, Mm -hmm. like I'm just denying the experience that is me as a human right now. Like I'm just, I'm living for everyone else. Uh, And so especially when I worked on starting a business and just realized like, I can't establish my leadership if I don't Mm -hmm. see myself in this way, if I'm just worried about everyone else. And so once I realized how deeply that impacted me and kind of the challenges of 
digging my way out, I was like, I got to take this to more people. What were some of those first indicators that you were seeing where people pleasing was curbing your potential? You know, like what are the indicators that it's becoming an issue? Totally. So I think one of the very first issues I had was actually in a relationship where I was just Mm -hmm. like letting this person talk down to me. I was letting this person Mm -hmm. manipulate me. I was like going along with everything they said and just really denying myself. And I remember Mm -hmm. just laying in bed and being like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like I'm not honoring myself. I'm not honoring who I am. And so I was like, I think I need to stand up for myself. And I I did um, at that Mm. point. So it was, I used to, I have to just say that I can relate deeply to that. And, and my pattern of doing that kind of thing in my relationships, I have described it in the past as feeling like I would wrap my life around someone else's. Mm-hmm. You know, like relationships coming together with another looked like me just conforming to their yeah. preferences for yep. life. And honestly, when I say that out loud now, it's like I can hardly recognize that version of myself totally. because I feel very solid in who I am today. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, back in the day when I was doing that, when my default was, well, what do you want to do? How do you want to live? I can fit into that box with you. Totally. And I did that at work as well. I remember like one of my first jobs Mm -hmm. out of college, I walked in and my manager, like I had this great boss and she was really wonderful about asking, you know, what do you want to do? What are your goals here? What are you, what, how can we support you in all of this? And I had no idea how to answer. I was like, uh, I don't know. I guess I want to like be a good worker. <laughs> yeah. You were like, tell me what you want me to be me. and I'll be it. Exactly. Yeah. That was who I was. And it was just like, I realized I didn't know how to answer. Cause she was like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what, what are your goals here? And she was such a great boss and like such a great leader uh-huh. for me, but I, I didn't know how to answer those questions. And I was just like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, what do you, what do you want? How do I fit into the team? How do I like be the best administrative assistant I can be? Like that's, that's where I was. Um, and then when I got mm-hmm. to starting my own business, I noticed it was really prevalent, like on discovery calls, on calls with people where I was potentially inviting them to work together. I would just get so wrapped up thinking of rough experiences I had had, you know, really with sales in the past. And I was like, oh, Mm. I don't want to do anything. So I just wouldn't stand in my power and couldn't communicate Mm. like the actual transformation I could help people achieve. I was just like, wishy-washy. Well, I guess I could kind of do this. Mm. And like, oh, never mind. Like, you don't want this. And like, just really defeating myself um, before like I talked them out of it before even inviting them yeah. to it. Um, and I can see how people can fall into that kind of self-sabotage, even if they don't have their own business. Totally. It's like, uh, you know, if you want to give me a promotion, that's fine. But like, whatever, man, I'm probably not ready for it anyway. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I'll happily stay here forever in this role. Thank you right. very much. Goodbye. Right. You know, like that sort of talking yourself out of what you mm-hmm. want or just not even being very in tune with what you want is yeah. so prevalent, especially for Yeah, women. and I see that like it's hard for the people pleaser to be in tune with what they want because they've spent so much time tuning into like, what do my parents want? What do my teachers want? I was 
intrigued by that concept in your work that people pleasing kind of starts at a young age. So how do we, what's your theory or what are some of the theories behind how one becomes a people yeah, pleaser? Yeah, totally. And so this is where I think it's really important to draw that distinction between just being a nice person and being kind yeah. and like people pleasing and like, when is it a challenge? Mm. And so the the real piece I see, and this is a phrase that was put out by this psychiatrist who does a lot with communication studies, his name's Dr. David Burns, and he refers mm. to something called emotophobia, which is like the mm. fear of negative emotions. Oh my gosh. And okay. so it's like we start, I think of it as like defensive niceness. That is people pleasing. When it's like, uh, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to let you decide and it's like, you know, I think this is later, like there's different types of people pleasing. And so there's reasons behind why you're letting that person decide. But like, if it's rooted in this, like, I don't want, like, I don't trust myself to make the decision. So I'm going to let you decide, mm. or I don't want to make you mad. So I'm going to let you decide. Like when it gets into that defensive piece, uh, that's where I really see that emotophobia coming through that you've learned from a young age. So Help me understand defensive niceness a little bit more. What are we defending against? What is the fear behind the emotion? Totally. So I see this as if you are, and this is where I would draw the distinction again between being nice, being kind. Like if you're letting your friend pick where you go for dinner and you're like in this like act of love of like, oh yeah, I want them to, to choose. They can share this experience with me. I think that's just you being nice. That's you being a kind person. If your thoughts are saying, I can't pick the restaurant. Like, what if I pick the wrong one? And like, she has a terrible time or like, I can't pick it. Cause like, what if she really wants to go to this other place? Like it would be selfish for me to pick it. So am I hearing that it's sort of like defending against she's going to be mad at me or she might be upset or I might do something to elicit an anger yeah. response. Like that's what we're defending against. Yeah. We're trying to preempt others' discomfort. And and from like an anxious internal monologue, not like a, you know what, why don't I let her choose? That might be nice. It's rather like, oh my God, I better let her choose in case I make the wrong right, decision. Right, right. More yeah. anxious. Yeah. Okay. And so that, that could like play out in bigger situations too. Like, you know, and that's the thing, like people pleasing doesn't often limit itself to like just one area of life. So if you're, you know, doing that like job interview, you know, if you're like, Mm. oh, I'm not gonna tell them, you know, that I have this thing in my life that may affect it. Like, I'll just, you know, let them call the shots. I'll let them, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to like ruffle any feathers. I think of it as almost like a performance in some ways. That's what I noticed within myself is just this like deep need to perform for other people. Yeah. So, And you said this feels like it starts from your relationship with your parents. I could see like, yeah, parents, teachers, um, because a lot of times I've heard that like the first five years of your life or so, seven years of your life, you're basically Mm – you know, wanting, you're looking to your parents, like, what do I do? How do mm-hmm. You're not like making big decisions for yourself as a four-year-old. Like, right. You're kind right, of right. following, I hope not. following <laughs> what your parents are inviting you to do, inviting, like following what your teachers, what authority figures are inviting right. you to do. And then generally some kids go into their like teenage rebellion or they're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to like push boundaries. 
people pleasers like myself, like other people who really received a lot of that, like, oh, it feels good to, to do what is asked of me. It feels good to like fit the mold that behavior. Like, I don't know. I didn't really have a teenage rebellion. I was like, nope, I still have to be a good girl. I have to like be nice. Like I, my rebellion was still with permission in so many ways. Like I didn't fully see myself. So I I do think it can start and stem from that, especially if you're, Mm. cause like, I really see it as like, you're, you're giving yourself messages. So it's sort of, if you're always, performing for other people if you're always keeping others happy you're like reinforcing this self-message that you're inferior in some ways and so it can start there and then just like ripple out and get bigger I I feel like that can't possibly end yeah right like I see I I write in my book in my Mm -hmm. book the bossed up book about the martyrdom mindset Mm -hmm. and how especially as women we're so conditioned to put others' needs before our own, but that martyrdom has its limit and it usually ends with resentment, burnout, you know, sometimes an explosion, sometimes an implosion Mm -hmm. in terms of depression or anger of like just being fed up with putting yourself last. So do you feel like people pleasers eventually get so resentful from not being cared for I don't know like why bother changing on that front you know what I mean because the repercussions have to be pretty significant yeah yeah and I feel like you know for some people too it's like that slow burn where it's like oh Mm. I'll help out and then they ask a little more of you and then they ask a little more of Mm -hmm. you and they ask a little more and suddenly you're like wait a second and like it feels really out of alignment and I think that's what a lot of people eventually wake up to is that like yeah I am always putting myself last. I'm always, I've always served other people. I've always taken care of people. I sort of see it as like a wild woman within you, like emerges and is like, no, let me out. Like I'm here. And you (laughs) have this like awakening. Um, But I feel like that scares a lot of people because they're not ready. They don't know how. And like boundaries, Mm. I think kind of boundaries are mostly about teaching other people how to treat you. And like, that can be really challenging if you have family members who have known you as this Mm. super helpful, always there, always ready to fix it, or like friends or people who always have known you one way to like set a boundary and say like, hey, actually, you can't Mm. talk to me that way. Or like, Mm. you know, setting a boundary, it can be really a, a tricky situation. But I think that comes up for a lot of people where they're like, something has to change. I will no longer abide by being walked all over. Um, But it can be really frightening to confront. Yeah. It's sort of like acknowledging the power you've had all along Mm -hmm. that you've been sort of – has just been laying dormant Mm -hmm. within you. And then all of a sudden to kind of pick that power up and use it can feel really out of your comfort zone. I love – I love that your program on this is called The Well-Boundaried Wild Woman. Yes. (laughs) So how does one become a well-boundaried wild woman? Like how do you begin to to step into that power? So this is surprising and fun, but I actually think it's so much simpler (laughs) than people realize. It is entirely Mm. rooted in worthiness and how you Mm -hmm. see yourself. 
because like I said, boundaries are about teaching other people how to treat you, but they're also about honoring how you will be treated. And so if you are able to look at somebody and say, I'm not being respected in this situation, or I don't like to stand up and say, I don't feel like you're hearing me. Can we discuss this further? Like speaking up, even if it's uncomfortable, that's what I think the well-boundaried wild woman does. And I think it all starts in that worthiness piece of knowing how you deserve to be treated and honoring and like protecting that for yourself. Absolutely. I feel like I've really struggled, Allison, Mm -hmm. in sort of articulating how one can make such a leap because I do remember myself 15-ish years ago now, you know, being in a relationship with an abusive alcoholic at the time and thinking, like, I know that I'm not living my life here. I know that I've made choices passively to go along, to get along, to, like, sign up for this life that I was really not happy in. And then I had my own little internal revolution of self-worth self-worth and worthiness, mm-hmm. you know, that I came to with the help of a therapist, mm-hmm. you know, and with the help of some other interventions. But I began, like you mentioned, recognizing that my life was out of alignment with my values and began making changes mm-hmm. to correct that. But it's really hard to... Yeah shepherd someone else through that process. Mm -hmm. Like I can hardly articulate how I woke up one day and decided I was worthy Mm -hmm. of living the life that I actually want, you know? Like how do you even – you work with people on this. Like how do you you recognize when someone's ready Mm -hmm. to wake up and feel that way about themselves? And how do you work on worthiness? Mm -hmm. It seems like such an internal – like obscure (laughs) thing to work on, you know? Totally. So – yeah, I I have this interesting gift I've noticed about myself. Uh, it gets into my like spirituality and all of that, but I feel like I can tell when someone's mm. wild woman is like ready to get out. Like I can feel that mm-hmm. energy of like she's like clawing at the cage. She's like just mm. ready to burst forth. And oftentimes, I hear that starting to come through through people's language. Um, you know, they talk about Mm -hmm. like, oh, I kind of want this. I kind of want this. Um, and so I start to notice like you, you got some fire within you. Um, and Mm. the way, the place that I start with people is self-talk and that self-image. Um, because if you're at this place where you're like, okay, I'm in this life that I don't enjoy. I don't want this. There's so much more for me. That can be, like I said before, that scary place to confront. And so I always encourage people, okay, go into your self-talk and see, are you being supportive of yourself? If you were in that situation and your internal Mm -hmm. dialogue was like, you're so dumb for getting here. I can't believe you got in this situation. How? Like, we're never going to, like, if you're talking that way, like, no way. That's not encouraging you. But if you're coming to yourself with compassion Mm -hmm. of like, oh my gosh, we feel so out of alignment. Let's figure out like, what are those shifts we can start to make? And if it's like, okay, little things, I'm going to start making Mm -hmm. decisions that make me feel worthy, that reinforce my worthiness. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to start speaking so compassionately to myself. And if people, Mm -hmm. you know, I I say at this point, my self-talk is lavish. I praise myself in my head all the time. Um, 
But for people, you know, if you're yeah. not there yet, like you can step it to neutral. You don't have to just don't yeah. beat yourself up. Just, you know, yeah. approach yourself with compassion. And so that's where I, and if you're noticing like, ooh, I don't feel compassion for myself. Like that's yeah. also yeah. places for you to note of like, okay, maybe there's some right. healing to do to, to bring myself yeah. into like, you know, I remember doing that with money. I was like, I don't feel, you know, I'm, I'm bad at money. I had this belief. And so I was like, okay, mm-hmm. let's get better at money. <laughs> like now I have this yeah. awareness that money is the block. Cool. Let's go find, you know, let's teach myself this. So, um, yeah, it gives you like, I, I remember when I was struggling with that, Writing it down was really helpful mm-hmm. for me because I, I would not be able to tell you what my self-talk right, was like yeah. verbally. Right. You know, like I would have to write it mm-hmm. out to really be able to begin to articulate what the hell I was saying about mm-hmm. myself. And so I'm, I've always been a big journaler and writer and that was really helpful. And then talk therapy, oh, yeah. you know, like whether it's working with a coach, a therapist, a psychotherapist, like whatever floats your mm-hmm. boat and hopefully your insurance can cover, mm-hmm. right, is like... I remember only when I created the time and space Mm -hmm. to focus on my inner narrative and really talk it out with someone could I even begin to articulate what was going on up there. And I didn't like what I saw. I didn't love what I heard at the time. And that was like the beginning of transformation. So I'm happy to hear you talking about your own self-talk being lavish Mm -hmm. because I don't think enough women say that out loud now. I I know. I'm like, you know what? You can – I love that. I I feel like the world has enough – there's enough negative coming in and around yeah, me. Like absolutely. I'm not going to add to it in my own head. And like, yeah, I love that. Yeah. It just, I, I feel like I set myself up for way more success if I'm like, we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And I remember, so I just had a baby about a year ago and when I was pregnant, my self-talk was went to new heights. Mm. I was like, look at what you are doing here. Look at your creative yes. power here. You know what I mean? Like, And so many women, I think, really struggle with all the changes mm-hmm. that your body goes through in pregnancy, mm-hmm. which I totally respect and validate. Mm-hmm. But for me, I was like, man, I'm amazing yeah. right now. Like, are y'all seeing this? Real. Like, are you aware of what women have been doing to continue the – like history of the world, sure. like you're welcome, world. Yeah. Where's my? Oh, that's the my, level. You know, Take that parade. You. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I just feel like there are moments in time when you can like really be your own champion, yeah. and for whatever reason, pregnancy. Oh yeah, that life I love that. So wild. So okay. So we're working on people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Boundaries we know are the antidote, but boundaries feel like you're reconditioning others. Mm-hmm in terms of how you are willing to be treated. Once you work on that self-talk, how does one begin to improve the boundaries you're putting in place with those relationships with others? Totally, totally. So my whole approach to boundaries is really rooted in a lot of my like psychology background, conflict transformation background, I, it's so weird. I was so conflict avoidant when I was in college, but I decided to study conflict uh-huh. transformation. And so, not a coincidence, yeah, not a coincidence at sure. all. Um, I was moving yeah. forward, I suppose. But I, I really learned a lot about nonviolent communication and about mm. just communication in general. And what I found mm. for communicating boundaries is really tuning into what you need and what your ideal outcome for the situation is. Um, Mm. Because if you just, like, it's so much easier for someone to give you what you want if you ask for it clearly. 
So if you're going into a meeting and you're like, I want a better work experience, (laughs) what's your your um, manager supposed to do with that? But if you say like, I desire to have, you know, a one-on-one with you every week, or I desire to have this workstation, I desire to have this kind of support. If you tell them what you desire, like what would make that great work experience, quote unquote, that you want, it's easier for them to to meet you. Totally. And I and I always think of it as a hypothesis, mm-hmm. right? Because like none of us are actually that good at predicting what's going to make us right. happy, what's going to make us sustainable, what's going to make us long-term satisfied. So take your best yeah. guess, man. Like sure. like take a stab yeah. at it because if you don't take your best guess mm-hmm. at it, when you ask for a quote unquote better work environment, your manager is going to take their best right. guess at delivering that for you. So mm-hmm. you better, you know, take some take some power in creating your idea of what might work and then treat it like an experiment because let's say you get what you want then you'll have to check in with yourself you know two months from now three months from now and say am I in fact feeling more sustainable more satisfied more whatever it is that you're looking for right so yeah so I mean it's all about tuning into like what you need and asking for that Mm -hmm. and so when it comes to Mm -hmm. boundaries you know I really think that's where you start like tune in with what you desire and if it's like okay, I don't desire to talk to this person about money because they're Mm. deep in a scarcity mindset and they always drag me way down. Like, cool, set that boundary and just honor that for yourself. And, you know, you can set a formal boundary with them or you can just hold it to yourself of like, I'm just going to avoid that topic of conversation. Like, it doesn't have to be this really powerful thing. Um, And that's another piece I want to add to boundaries is like I think it's really helpful to have a couple levels of them that can be helpful uh so if you're say your friend or you know someone Mm -hmm. is what's a good example talking to you about this like new job that they just got and you have been I'm striving yeah and you have been on the job hunt for like seven months and you are like no longer available to hear them rant and rave about their amazing new job. And so you could go into the situation with just a very soft boundary and say like, Hey, could we talk about something else? You don't even have to address like what it's bringing up in you. Like you can just say like, Hey, Mm -hmm. you know, could we talk about something else? (laughs) Simple boundary. And if they're still going with it, you could just say like, Hey, this topic makes me really uncomfortable right now. I would love to talk about something else <laughs> and you can like set a second mm-hmm. level and if they're yeah. still just bringing it to you that's where I think like tuning into some of that nonviolent communication of adding a little context without over explaining mm. and feeling like you need to convince them or like anything like that but maybe saying like I noticed that you have an amazing new job and I yeah. feel really uncomfortable and sad hearing that because I've been, you know, really struggling to find something that lights me up. Could we, like, could you find someone else to like share this with or like, you know, could, could we avoid this topic for a little bit? Um, So I think sometimes having levels and if they still are like, nope, I'm going to tell you all about it. You can just be like, Hey, okay, I'm not available for this. Bye. I got to go. Yeah. Those levels of just like, you don't have to go in with this super aggressive, mm. like, I am not available for this topic. 
like, whoa, okay, right. where's that coming from? But like, just a gentle, like talking to your friend, like, hey, you know, this really mm-hmm. brings up a lot for me. And I don't know if I'm the best person to like, talk with you about it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's honoring your totally. need and what you need in that situation. So, And it's such a good reminder that often setting a boundary is not the beginning and the right. end. There's often, you know, reinforcing a boundary reestablishing a boundary or reassessing if this boundary is necessary anymore. You know what I mean? So like it's kind of an ongoing process of standing up for yourself that can be very taxing. Totally. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like how do you navigate the emotional component of like, oh, I'm exhausted. That was really anxiety inducing Mm -hmm. and scary. Does it get easier, Allison? You know, I do. I think it does in some ways because I think that worthiness muscle yeah. Get stronger when you're just like, mm-hmm. I am worthy of doing what I need to feel safe, honored, heard, respected, yeah. all of that. And like, as you tune into that, it gets easier to set mm-hmm. that boundary or at least to see. And I, I think too, like really understanding that there's a difference between you and other people, like seeing like, okay, they are themselves. They will do what they do. Right. I can't control any of that. Like the more you can see, like I am my bubble and I'm setting this boundary to protect my divine peace, (laughs) to protect what my family needs, Mm. you know, to, to stand up for what's best for my life. Like as you tune into Mm. that, it does get a little easier to say like, you know what? I understand why I'm setting this boundary. And like having that reason for yourself is so powerful. Like I know why I'm setting this. I'm protecting myself. I'm honoring myself. How do you protect your peace in a toxic workplace? Mm. How do you deal with it when it's not a friend? It's mm-hmm. not, I mean, trust me, we could have a whole podcast about your parents or yeah. your in-laws or your extended family, totally. your siblings, whatever. But like at work, especially mm-hmm. if you are a recovering people pleaser at mm-hmm. work and you've got, you know, a toxic boss, manager, mm-hmm. colleagues, where it doesn't really feel very safe yeah. to assert your your self-respect you know what I mean like how can you start this quiet revolution of protecting yourself in a place that is really bad boundaries and respecting boundaries I mean quiet quitting everybody talks about quiet quitting not going over and above not like you know dumping your whole life and your whole identity into who you are in this job um, and who you are in this this work position tuning into just like your worthiness too of like shaking off that energy when you're done with work for the day. Like if it's not great at work, but like that's the season of your life and like there's not super great ways to get out of it right now, like tuning into saying like, okay, when I come home, I'm not going to let that continue impacting me. I'm going to close the laptop. I'm going to shake off, get that energy out of here. Um, it's tricky though, because like I'm. It's definitely true. It's like self preservation on the margins, is right? What I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, like, what role is, what element of this is really about just getting comfortable with other people not being happy mm-hmm. with you, right? Like, I think there's a line in my book about sometimes to make yourself proud, mm. you have to disappoint others. Mm. Love that. And that feels that feels apt mm-hmm. here because it's like, you know it's so antithetical to what people pleasing is all about, but you're going to displease some people when you stand up for yourself. And so how much of this is just about getting comfortable with your toxic boss, not loving every move you make? Love that 
perspective because I think that's it like I was talking about that emotive phobia before Mm. of like being afraid of the negative emotions and that is that fear of like what if people don't like me what if I'm not you know the star what if they're not and there is a lot of like releasing that and like I was talking about like seeing yourself as a separate entity you know you can look at your boss and say okay that's my boss they have a different outlook on the world than I do they are over there they're doing their thing and like honoring yourself and saying like you know what I'm not here to keep them happy I'm not here to perform for them so interesting it's such a radical notion Mm -hmm. in a world that has made women and girls in particular Mm -hmm. so often feel like we are just supporting characters Mm -hmm. in this world's narrative Mm -hmm. like we are just put on this planet to please Mm -hmm. others men in particular Mm -hmm. right so I, I really think there's so much like radical rewriting of our own sense of self and who we are and our identities when we say, you know, my sole purpose here is not to make everyone else happy. Like, I got to make myself happy. And then, you know, at the cost of others being happy Mm -hmm. sometimes too. Mm -hmm. You know? So it's just, I wish it weren't as radical as it is, but it is very radical. And I feel like your life changes radically when you – adopt that mentality do you feel like you've experienced that transformation yourself so it's fascinating because I I like I said I was that people pleasing kid I was that quiet like fit in kind of character but when I had this I was just like no I need to burst out I need to make my mark I had to have this shift of like seeing my life as a permission slip and being like you know Mm. what I'm gonna show her that she can do it like my hair, you can't mm-hmm. maybe see my hair. It's, it's, I need to get it dyed again, but like generally pink. it's pink. Generally it's purple. Generally it's like it. very yeah. poppy. And I have, you know, I wear really rambunctious outfits with lots of colors. And I, <laughs> I just love being yeah. that person who reminds people like you can have permission to take yeah. that big juicy bite out of life. Like yeah. do it. Um, and I had to, you know, shift within myself because I received those messages of like, Oh, it's selfish mm-hmm. to, to draw too much attention to yourself or like, Oh, it's rude. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't do that. Like I was also raised in a very humble Christian tradition of like, don't draw attention to yourself. Just be nice, be a servant mm-hmm. to others. And so it was really kind of out there for me to take on this, like, no, do whatever you want kind of like lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. And I had to shift from seeing it as selfish to seeing it as altruistic in a lot of ways mm. of just like, it is not selfish to be who I am loudly and boldly. Yeah. It is yeah. serving the greater collective. If I yes. speak my truth and if I stand in my power, I didn't come here yeah. to like hide in the shadows and like, like you said so beautifully, like be that supporting role, like main character energy, like you are here to be the star of your life. Um, And like, yeah, there are other people, but stepping into that power and having that self-talk of like, I am worthy of doing what feels best in my life. Like that is just so powerful to step into it. So Mm And like delighting yourself, right? Like you said, lavishing yourself. And I'm thinking just about the ramifications. Obviously, I could talk to you forever about this, and I do have to let you go in a minute. But I am thinking about the ramifications of queer folks, of folks of color, of folks who are historically really marginalized in a world that that doesn't just 
tell them they're on the mm-hmm. sidelines, but has very much sidelined right. actively. Um, you know, those folks living loud and proud as who you are is altruism, right. is what you're saying, despite the risks, right. despite the very real fears, yeah. um, you know, some of which are much more deadly than mm-hmm. others, right? But the real risks involved in that, I hear you saying, is so worth it yeah. because you get to, like, this other side yeah. Of people yeah, and I will say, that like, is... there is always, you know, that piece of self or like of safety too, because I realize, you know, yeah. I'm I'm a queer white woman, but like I don't have some of the, I'm not like part of certain marginalized communities that have a different experience, yeah. and so definitely yeah. like do what feels safe to you in all situations, but like having yeah. a place where you can be yeah. your loudest, proudest, brightest version having those people with whom like you know don't put yourself in harm's way ever but like do tune into your power with certain people because when you're in that just like I am worthy I am deserving um Mm -hmm. it does so much for your thoughts and just for your like ripple effect forward and and I think for modeling that behavior for mm-hmm. everyone else around totally. you. Totally. Right. It's not just for yeah. you. You change culture yeah. by doing that. Totally. Very cool. Allison, where can our listeners learn more about you and your phenomenal work? Because I love this conversation. Yes. I'm sure we could have much more. Of yeah. That. So my website is poppylead.com. Uh, and that has a super fun quiz to learn about what type of people pleaser you are. Uh, and so you can totally check that out. I also hang out on Instagram and LinkedIn. I've been loving LinkedIn these days. Um, and so that is Same. my predominant place. But uh, yeah, Instagram, LinkedIn. I will link to all of those places in our show notes thank today. You. And I just want to thank you again for being here and sharing your story and your, your wisdom. Thank you. This has been a delightful conversation. And yeah, I am so excited for everyone just stepping into their power because it does raise the, the collective of, of everything when we all live our lives as permission slips. So love that. For all of the show notes and links to what Allison and I talked about in today's episode, head to bossedup.org slash episode 373. That's bossedup.org slash episode 373. If you are looking to refine your assertive communication skills and speak up unapologetically at work, you can also join us for Bossed Up's Speak Up program, a -a one-of-a-kind, interactive, eight-week assertive communication program for everyday professional communication to help you become a more confident, cogent communicator who's taken seriously at work and is making your voice heard. You can learn more in today's show notes or at bossedup.org slash speakup. And until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose and together let's lift as we climb.